Well, good morning, church. You can talk to me. We're a charismatic church. Good morning, church. Good to see you today. Fall is here. It is good to, good to be together. Hey, one quick announcement. This coming Wednesday, we have First Wednesday. This fall, uh, this Wednesday, 6.30, right in this room, first Wednesday, we're gonna pray, we're gonna worship, we're gonna tear the roof off this place in the presence of the Lord. And it's, it's always the highlight of my month. So join us this Wednesday for first Wednesday. Another thing I'll say is, happy hallelujah party. Can, can you say hallelujah? Uh, hallelujah, yeah, exactly. Um, Happy Harvest Festival. I don't know. The, the home I grew up in as a kid, I'm a pastor's kid out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. We didn't celebrate Halloween. We just got dressed up and asked people for candy. So um, happy. My favorite one, my favorite costume that I wore, I, there was this big C, a big letter C that my parents put on me and they spray painted it red. So I was the red C. And I got loaded up with candy that year because they were like, bless this poor kid's heart. His parents need to go to jail for this. So anyway, uh, it's a good day. The kids will be eating candy tonight. Uh, welcome to church. If you have your Bibles, turn to the very first page of the Bible. Genesis chapter one. I'm going to be speaking on the power of place today, this book that I've just written. And so what I'll do is I'll read you this text and we'll jump in in prayer and then we'll go forth. So hear the word of the Lord out of Genesis chapter one toward the end of the chapter. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea. I want you to notice how physical this language is, the physicality of this language so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, how creational this language is and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and all of the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them and then verse 28, God did what he does and he blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. There's, there's this creational language, like go out into the creation I've given you, be fruitful, multiply, increase in number, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the what? The ground, the creation. And then in verse 15 of chapter two, it says, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God, let's pray. Lord, we're here because we believe our story starts in your speaking. Our story starts with you saying, let there be. And we all come in today with various degrees of darkness. We all come in carrying chaos and we all have certain bits of anxiety or fear, questions about the future and we need you to speak into the darkness with your light. We need you to say, let there be light all over again. 
We trust that as your word goes out, you will illuminate us, that you'll wake us up, that you'll refresh us, that you'll renew us, and that you'll do with us today what you did with the first couple, that you'll bless us and send us out to subdue the earth, to fill it, to lead this beautiful creation you've given us. So we pray, Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And I pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You've heard stories, if you've been around for any length of time, stories that I've told about my grandparents out in Idaho. Grandma Wheezy's about to be 90. And she lives on the land that her daddy bought in 1918, right off the Snake and Clearwater River where they meet in Lapway, Idaho. Uh, Great Grandpa Hieronymus Athanasius Asimokopoulos, my Grandma Wheezy's dad, bought 2,000 acres out there from the Nez Perce tribe in 1918. So Grandma Wheezy's still out there on uh, the smaller portion of the land. They've sold a bunch of it, but she lives on that land that her daddy bought, and she's about to be 90. She's watching this morning. Love you, Grandma Wheezy. And Grandpa Dan uh, was a farmer, and he worked the land and served these people in this small community where the Nez Perce tribe lives in Lapway, Idaho. And he had a back injury and had to pivot from being a farmer because of the physicality of the work and started being a rural mail carrier. He, he ran the post office and drove an 81 mile route every day to drop off mail to people. And he knew their names and he knew the numbers and he had this muscle memory of where the community lived. And then grandpa, I don't know how he did all this. He had like three different retirements. It, so he was, I guess he wasn't busy enough. He started driving the school bus. He drove the school bus for 44 years. So he would get up in the morning, go sort the mail, uh, make a run, go pick up kids for school, go back and work around the ranch, then go back in the afternoon and pick up kids from school and take them home. And after 44 years, he ended up driving three different generations of people to and from school. So he'd go pick up little Johnny Smith and Johnny's grandpa would be standing on the porch waving at Grandpa Dan who drove him to school. 44 years before. And so I, I've watched my grandparents live faithfully in a place for a long time. And I got to officiate my grandpa Dan's funeral and the whole community came together to bless this man's memory, to bless his legacy, to say, you know what? Your faithfulness in this place has made us all stronger. And today, as we talk about the power of place, I want you to understand that the saints of old have lived with this real seriousness about where they lived. We know that saints have taken for hundreds of years and thousands of years, they would take vows. We, we would know that they would take a vow of obedience to scripture, that the Bible is our holy book and, and we wanna hide these words in our heart that we might not sin against God. Sure, the vow of obedience to scripture. Many of us will know that saints would take vows of charity with their, their finances, that we're not our own and, and we live with open hearts and open pocketbooks. We wanna take care of one another with the resources God has given us, a vow of charity with our money, sure. We would know that the saints of old would have taken vows as best they could, vows of chastity with their sexuality, that, that we want to try to stay faithful and we were bought with a price and therefore honor God with your body, absolutely. But what most people don't know is that the very first vow St. Benedict called believers to take and that believers have been taking for hundreds and thousands of years is the vow of stability. 
The vow of stability in place. The, the saints talked about stabilitas, that essentially you find your place, you find your people, and you put down roots. The, the book that I've written, The Power of Place, the original working title that I was working with and the publisher didn't want me to go with this, but we wrestled for a little bit over it and they won. But the original title was Try to Die There. <laughs> See, you liked it. it. Stupid publisher. No, anyway. Try to die there, like try. It doesn't mean we can all stay where we are for the rest of our lives. I get it. Life is complex. We are a military community. Many of you will have to move, and I, I understand that. Some of you have had to move across country or, or you're having to because you gotta take care of aging parents. And life is dynamic and complex. I'm not here to romanticize place. But if you can, if you can try to die there, if you can put down roots, find your people, find your place and put down roots, watch what will happen. Now, interestingly, we just read this text, Genesis chapter one. I want you to notice that the very first gift God gave humankind was the gift of place. Here's your garden. Here's your location. Here's the ground from which you will live the life that I've called you to live. And understand that the very first curse that happened in Genesis 3 was the curse of placelessness, that they were driven out of the garden, expelled out into the wilds because of their sinfulness. So you see that the saints of old have really thought deeply and thought hard about the power of place. So what's the purpose behind the vow of stability? I wanna put three things in front of us today, three simple concepts that we can tease out as we go one by one. The first thing that I'll say to you is that through the vow of stability, God wants to give us a gift. God wants to give us the gift, the gift of place, the gift of knowing where our people are, knowing, uh, think about what place does for us. First, I'll say that place gives us this, this security. It gives us deep security. Think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. In 1943, Abraham Maslow arose. This psychologist had been studying the human condition, but he wasn't saying anything brand new. He was saying what theologians and philosophers and anthropologists had been saying for thousands of years, that to become, to, to, to rise up in that great quest of becoming, we all need to know that there is safety in place, that we have a home to go to. This is why homelessness is so heartbreaking because these people don't have that safe and stable place to lay their head at night. When place is working correctly, it gives us deep security. The second thing that place gives us is that place gives us a secure identity. When place is working rightly and we are established, we, we find this, this identity. I remember growing up in the church that we grew up in in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and my parents raised us in such a way that we had, seemed like we always had 25 aunties and uncles in the faith that just took care of us. These people who would pray for us and bless us and rebuke us when we got off track. And I had people that in one breath could say, hey, great job, Daniel, and then the next go, don't you ever do that again. You know, the community really helped raise, as they say, it takes a village. And when you have that, you have this, you have this 
identity that begins to form. In this church, these people would pray for me through the years and they'd give me prophetic words and they'd say, Daniel, I see the hand of the Lord on you and I, I see you called to lead. And Daniel, I, I, I see that the word of God is getting in you and I heard you give that little you know, two minute offering talk when you were 15 years old. Your pastor gave you the microphone and you stewarded that moment well and I bless you and, and you're gonna go far. And, and I started to develop this sort of identity that these people said to me, you're a man of God and you're made to serve the people of God. And at 15, 16, 17 years old, something just got deep in the marrow of my bones that this is what I was made for. When place is working rightly, yes, we have security, but we also begin to develop this deep identity. And I love watching these kids grow in this church. We've got elementary and we've got middle schoolers and we've got people growing up in the ways of the Lord and they've got the wind of the spirit at their back and they know who they are. Why? Because the scriptures are sounding in their ears and the people of God are surrounding them saying, hey, you're blessed. Keep going. I see the hand of God on you. Place when it's working rightly helps us develop a deep identity. Can you say amen? The third thing I want you to see is that place when it's working rightly helps us develop skilled mastery. Mastery. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and go and take dominion over creation. This is not some garden that you're living in that I'm going to be the puppet master and pull all the strings and you're just these robots and you're doing, no. Adam and Eve, this is your place. Go. Go bear my image. Go start businesses. Go work the ground. Go, go, go. It's yours. There's this young kid in this church that I've watched grow up since birth and his dad's a home builder and this dad can do anything. Just work with his hands and he's crafty. And this little boy, I watched him at three and four years old. He'd walk around his house with a tool belt on, you know. I never wore a tool belt as a kid, but this kid, you know, it's just the most natural thing in the world. He's pulling out tape measure and, you know, drilling stuff and hammering stuff and coming in and saying, hey, your, your pictures aren't even. I've said, shut up, man, fix it, you know? <laughs> this little kid, he just, he, he's developed skilled mastery because the safety of his place has taught him who he is. He's felt secure, he's gotten an identity, and he's also been able to practice his craft. And we need more and more people launching from their homes, having practiced their craft and learning how to steward the earth and go and start businesses and lead, right? We, we need the skilled mastery when place is working correctly. We've got security, identity, and mastery. When God calls us to the vow of stability, he wants to give us a gift, the gift of place. The second thing that I want you to see is that through the vow of stability, God wants to make us holy. I'm a great Christian by myself. When I'm by myself, I'm a decent guy. I don't get impatient with myself. I'm not angry with myself. I don't raise my voice at myself. I, I'm just, when, when my kids aren't needing things and when people aren't cutting me off in traffic and when I'm not late on deadlines that other people are putting on me, I'm a really decent guy. I love Jesus and I've got a smile on my face. It's just all these people. <laughs> uh, and I wanna say to you that this is how God makes us holy. The fruit of the spirit, None of them work in isolation. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can't do that by yourself. 
You only can demonstrate love when you have to give it away to someone who's being difficult. You can only be joyful when someone threatens that with their stupidity. And you go, you know what, bless you in Jesus' name. And you extend the joy of the Lord and something deep by the Spirit starts working in you. And despite what's going on around you, the fruit of the Spirit starts popping off of your life and people can taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm a, I'm a great Christian by myself, but the way God makes us holy is through people. I used to be in a band and we would travel around and, and go to, we were on tours and we'd go to these you know, places and they have green rooms for us. And they said, hey, send us your rider. And your rider is what you want when you come into the green room. I want room temperature Evian and only green M&Ms. I'm joking, but but there are people that do that. You tell them your preferences and you show up in the green room and everything that you've asked for in advance is there. And they pick you up at the airport and they drive you to the place. And what I noticed about these green rooms after a few years is that you always get everyone's best. Hi, we are so glad to have you. Here's your room temperature, Evian, and your green M&Ms. And we, anything you need, you just tell us. We will just, we're at your beck and call and we'll just jump on it. It's, it. We're thrilled to have you. And I want to say to you that that is not real life. I started feeling really uncomfortable because I thought, I'm getting everyone's A plus 100% all the time. And then I go home and life <laughs> and work. And, chill, and, and what I just want to say is that God will make us holy as we take the vow of stability with these people in this place. And you, you wanna know who's made me a faithful follower of Jesus Christ? Lillian and Wilson and Wakely Grothy. And Lisa Grothy, by being an amazing wife and sometimes saying, you stop that right now. You're better than this, let's rise up. Let's, and, and they've made, you know who's made me holy? You have made me holy. You've prayed for me and you've encouraged me. And some of you who have that authority in my life, you've rebuked me and you've said, hey, you're better than this. Over 16 and a half years of being here, I've had plenty of those moments where people have jerked the slack out and said, you know what, rise up, man of God, let's do better. You have made me holy. And it's in the context of stability in place that God will give us the gift of holiness, a couple cultural trends that are at play that threaten this. First, we live in an age of wanderlust. We live in an age where we're the first society in history that has options to go anywhere we want at any time we want. We, we have, we're, we're living a human experiment right now. Oh, I'm gonna hop down to Austin. Austin's got food trucks. They've got great, you know, they got, you can paddleboard and great weather year round and, and it's got a real vibe and a real scene and I'm feeling the energy coming off of Austin. Austin's great, I'm not knocking, uh, but oh, you know, after three years in Austin, it's not really working for me. I'm gonna go out to LA, try this thing out there. I always thought I, I was in a play when I was 15 in high school and I just always knew that I was made to be on the big screen. And so I'm going out to LA to find myself and to live my truth and to write my story. And then it doesn't work because we don't have any rootage and, and there's 8 million people out there and traffic for, and you fly out to New York and we live in an age that assumes the grass is always greener on the other side. And as we give into this, as we keep uprooting time in and time out, we find after 10 years, we, we're kind of missing the thing that we really need. The second thing that's at play here is that we have become pathologically conflict avoidant. 
Whatever happened to going to the Greasy Spoon Diner, sitting over a cup of really bad black coffee and hashing it out with someone that you had beef with? Right? Like, like, hey man, when you did that, that really bothered me. Tell me what I do that bothers you. Can we find common ground? I'm sorry, I repent. Let's be men of God together. Let's be friends. Let's go the long haul together. My bad. And I don't need to be right. I just need us to be in unity. We have become pathologically conflict avoidant. And instead of having face-to-face conversations, we go behind our keyboards and we become keyboard warriors. We're gonna change the world with our sarcastic memes. And with our political rants, we're gonna change the world. We think we're changing the world, but we're really just living in the echo chambers of our animosity. And because of our pathological conflict avoidance, when it gets hard, it feels like the easiest thing to do is to run, to find new friends, to find a new place, to find a new church, to find a new community, because all these people that I'm living with don't understand the greatness that God has put in my life, and I need to go find people. A prophet's not honored in his hometown. Now I'm gonna go find my new friends. It doesn't work like that. But if we will submit to the work of the Spirit, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We glorify that and act like that's some beautiful, precious moments thing. No, sparks are flying. There is the clash of relationships, steel hitting one another, but you look at at the end of that process, you have something that's useful. And if we will stay connected to our relationships and if we will stay faithful within our communities and if we'll just weather the storm and look each other in the eyes and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I I want to be in unity. If we'll do that, we'll find that iron sharpens iron. Friends, I'll say it this way, that if you want To become holy, remember that people are the great purifiers. People are the great purifiers. Now, can I just read you one little statement here? A a, a few of our friends, we go to this monastery a couple times a year and we, we spend the day praying and talking and catching up. We've got long years of history together. And so we circle back a couple times a year and how are you doing? How's your family? How's life? How's work? How can we pray for you? And this monastery has on their website and on a wall there at the at the monastery, this wonderful phrase, this quote that I think we could pay attention to, we vow to remain all our life with our local community. We live together, we pray together, we work together, we relax together. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself. (laughs) You know, they say, wherever you go, there you are. Ultimately, there's no escape from oneself. And the idea that things would be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when, not if, and when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have a great incentive to work things out and restore peace. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences, and forgiving. I'm not saying this is easy, but I am saying it is the way we become holy. I'm not saying it's sexy. I'm saying it's the way we become the saints of God who last the test of time. It would be much easier in the short term to run when it gets hard, but if we will plant our feet and plant our lives and make eye contact and say, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Would you please stop doing that? 
And when the saints of God come face to face and live like this, look up after decades and tell me if you became holy. This is how God makes us holy. The third thing I wanna say about the vow of stability is that through the vow of stability, God will use us to refamily the world. Through the vow of stability, God will use us to refamily the world. Do you, do you know how lonely people are these days? Like, can we be honest and say that we are the richest society in human history and in many ways we are the most bankrupt relationally? People are lonely. Just because we have medical care doesn't mean we have all that we need to be healthy. Just because we can pay our bills doesn't mean we're rich with all the right stuff. And we as a society, God will use us as the church to, to be a provocation to the society, to say, you wanna see what a family's like? Come into the church where black and white and brown gather around the same table of the Lord Jesus. Come into the same church where rich and poor open their hearts and open their pocketbooks and lay down their accolades and lay down their privileges and lay down their rights and say, we are one because Jesus Christ made us one. Come into the church on a Sunday morning or on a Friday night where Democrats and Republicans can look each other in the eye and go, you good, you good, you good? Hey, I love you with an everlasting love and we're gonna be neighbors for eternity, so let's figure it out right now. Tell me where, on el where, where else on planet earth this is happening. It's the church of Jesus Christ that refamilies the world. I remember sitting at my desk, it's probably 12 years ago. I got a call on my office phone and I picked it up and it was a voice I didn't recognize. It was a lady calling and she said, uh, are, are you a pastor? And I said, yes, ma'am, what's your name? And she told me her name and I said, how can I help you today? And she said, well, my husband just died. And she said, we've never gone to church and I just realized in his death that churches are the places that bury people. Would you bury my husband? And I said, ma'am, I would be honored. I'd be honored to bury your husband. Now, can we get together this week and let's talk? I'd like to get to know your story. And you have family in town? No, I don't have family in town. Okay, well, we'll be your family. She came up to the church on a Tuesday. The call came in on a Monday. She came up the next day on Tuesday and we started planning the funeral. I started getting to know her story. And you know what? We, we did her husband's funeral, very small funeral off in the corner of the World Prayer Center, probably 12 years ago. We did that funeral on a Friday morning. There might've been 18 people there. And we dignified his memory and we surrounded this woman and we blessed this woman and she doesn't know what Christians do and she doesn't know about this holy book and she didn't know Psalm 23 was worth praying at. She just needed someone to bury her husband and New Life Church buried her husband and we did it for free. We asked for nothing. We just said, God bless you and we will stand with you. Sunday morning, she walks in the front door and she, I mean, big, big place, brand new. She just buried her husband of 50 years and she doesn't know what she's doing, but she knows that on Friday, some of the nicest people that she's ever met just dignified her husband's memory. And you know what? Until she entered her rest last year, there wasn't a Sunday in 11 years that that woman missed coming to church. 
And she showed up in the cafe and we were giving her coffee and she's eating little pastries with people. She started finding her friends and she started going to a Bible study. She'd come into worship and tears streaming down her face. 11 years ago, that was not happening. And it took some, some kind of moment in time for her to realize that she needed a family on planet earth. And she came into New Life Church, a room full of strangers. And last year she died a saint with a large family that loved her to her dying day. And saints, I'm here to tell you through the gift of stability, God will use us to refamily the world. This is what he does. This is what the church is for. This is not some precious little social group that gathers and we sing songs to feel good about ourselves. No, we come together because God in Jesus Christ is reconciling the world to himself. He's racing back to that Genesis three moment where we got fragmented and fractured and sent off into exile. And Jesus comes in the middle of the story and is exiled himself into death. And he rises on the third day. And what he's been doing since then is collecting people from every tribe and tongue and nation and people group rich and poor black and white and brown and red and yellow and all the saints coming together and he uses us to refamily the world in a world of deep loneliness. Can you say amen, church? I'm here to ask you. I'm here to beg you. I'm here to plead with you. I'm here to reason with you to say, live the vow of stability in place. This is not just for your good, though it will be for your good. You will find safety and security and identity and mastery, absolutely. But, but the reason we need you to be here is because of women like that widow who came in on that Sunday and needed to find people with open arms looking for her and say, ma'am, come sit with us today. Can we take you to lunch today? And 11 years later, she's got a thick web of family. Friends, you need the gift of stability, but other people need you to be the gift of stability for them. And when we come together as the church and live this way, heaven comes on earth. I've never seen, I've never seen someone not enjoy living this kind of life. And so today, the simple plea is to receive the gift of stability that God wants to give you. It's to receive your identity that God wants to give you. I'm calling you today to live this kind of vow of stability and through it, if, as you persevere and keep on going, you'll look up at the end of your days and you'll see that you're holy, that God has made you clean through iron sharpening iron. And God, if we will live this way, will use us to refamily the world. Can you say amen today? Church, would you stand with me? As the band comes, we're going to worship here in just a minute and then receive communion after that. But I wanted to pray for a couple, a couple things today. First, for those in deep loneliness. I wanna pray for those who need a family. Maybe some of you are here today and you go, that's me, you're praying for me. We're going to pray the blessing of God over you today that in this place you would find all that you need and that your life would be secured. But let's also pray for those outside of these walls today. It's a Sunday morning in Colorado Springs and about 90% of our city is not in church today. Like, I don't know if you know this, but the harvest is plentiful. <laughs> we got a lot of work to do. 
We got a lot of lonely people sitting on a Sunday morning in their homes, looking at their phones, wondering when fulfillment's gonna come and joy's gonna come and wondering when they're gonna find a family in this really lonely world. I want us to do, I want us to intercede right now and have a little prayer meeting for all those people in our city who are aching for a family today. Can we pray that prayer? Can we switch into intercession and prayer mode right now? Let's begin to stir our hearts. I want you to imagine, get a picture of someone sitting in their living room this morning, aching for home, aching for family, aching for their people. Lord Jesus, we pray that you'd send your spirit right now. Would you stir it up church? Come on. I'm not praying for you, I'm praying with you. Lord, we pray that you would woo people into the family of God. We pray that you would draw people out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We pray that you would set the lonely into families today. We pray, Lord, that we would be the church that refamilies the world. I pray, Lord, that more of those stories of the, the widow by herself finding a family, I pray that that would be common among us, Lord. We pray for every single parent in our city that's just slogging it out and, and trying to endure. We pray that they would find themselves caught up into the family of God that can be strength for them. Lord, we ask today that you would use New Life Church, all eight of our congregations, to re-family the world. The second thing that I wanna pray for today is for strength for you and me to stand, to endure to remain, to be faithful, to, as Eugene Peterson put it, live a long obedience in the same direction, to come to the end of our days and to have been made holy. So would you open your hands right now? And I wanna speak this kind of faithful endurance over us. Lord, where the enemy comes to threaten us, to steal and to kill and to destroy our lives, in Jesus' name, I rebuke the enemy's plan. <laughs> I rebuke it. The enemy's whispering in some of your ears right now, hey, it's time to quit. This thing doesn't work. It's never gonna pay off. What are you doing wasting your time? You've spent decades in this thing and it doesn't matter. In Jesus' name, I rebuke that lie. I cast it out. Lord, I pray for a holy defiance to rise up at the people of God here at New Life Church, that we will fight the good fight, that we will run the race, that we will keep the faith and we'll be able to say it like Paul at the end of his life. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord will grant me on that day. Lord, I pray that you would make us to be people of faithfulness. I pray that we would stand the test of time, that we would last, that we would endure, that we would make it. So fill your people with the Spirit of God. Fill us afresh. Lord, we need a fresh outpouring. We're tired and we're weary and we're dry and we're cracked and we're leaking, we're leaking. We pray that you would shore us up, Lord, and make us strong again. I pray for the saints to stand. Lord, Lord, strengthen us to remain and to be faithful until the very end. Pray the blessing of God over my friends today in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, let's worship the Lord and in just a minute we'll receive communion.
sing this together, worthy of every song. Worthy of every song you could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. the name above every other name Jesus the only one who could ever say
We're gonna go back into singing, I will build my life here in just a minute, but would you get your communion elements ready to receive? Because I can't think of a better thing to build our lives upon today than the work, the life, the death, the resurrection, the salvation, the forgiveness, the blessing and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. This is what we are saying our lives are about. And if Jesus will do this work in us by his spirit, then we can live this work out in the world. So church, take that cracker there. Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. Would you break that little wafer in your hands? And you know what he was saying when he did this? He was saying, there's gonna be some moments when it's hard. <laughs> it's gonna be painful. It's gonna be costly. It's gonna be difficult at times. There's gonna be moments where you don't think you can make it. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, remember. So Jesus today by his spirit feeds us. He gives us strength. And as we find ourselves in seasons of brokenness, we're gonna find ourselves rallying with the strength that only Jesus can give us. You may receive the bread today. On that same night, he took the cup of wine. He said, this cup is the new covenant. And I want you to hear that word today, new. We're starting fresh today by the work of Jesus. It's the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. Friends, today you are clean, you're renewed. You got a fresh start by the work of Jesus. He says, every time you do this, remember, you may receive the cup from Jesus today. Here in just, let's, let's sing this, I will build my life, but I want you to sing it as a declaration of faith. Come on church, let's sing it from, from our hearts. Church, would you open your hands this morning as I pray the benediction? 
We're gonna have our prayer team come down and be ready to pray with any of you that have extended prayer needs you want an agreement about. But as you go today, I pray that the Spirit of God would carry you into the week in front of you. That you wouldn't feel like you're racing out on your own, but that you would feel carried. Some of you have difficult meetings this week, difficult conversations this week, complexities this week. You need the Spirit to carry you. I pray that you would feel the Spirit carrying you into this week. I pray that the joy of the Lord would be your strength and that all heaviness would be rolled away. Let all fear be rolled away. Let all crippling anxiety be rolled away. Let every bit of heaviness be lifted and let the garment of praise surround your people, O oh God. I pray may the Lord our God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his bright smiling countenance upon you and all of your people. And may he grant you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, can we give God thanks for what he's done here today? As the prayer team comes, we would love to pray for you. If you're new, see us at Guest Central. I'm gonna run out to the lobby to the book table. Would love to see any of you out there. Go from here in God's grace and peace. Much love.